Greetings, family. Today I'm going to be reading an excerpt from a book called Power and Praise by Marilyn Carothers. Very, very intriguing. It's about giving thanks to God for the problems and getting out of the way. You know, we're, we either don't understand God, how He's a God of power and a God of love, a Father who wants the best for us, and the idea is to expand the, the acceptance part. Accept the part and believe that God has it. Turning it over into his hands. He goes, I got this. I got it. You know, would you want to do something? Go ahead and praise me and thank me and, and make preparations for the thing that's coming or whatever you're hoping for. You know, just act in faith. The Lord can not do anything unless we stand still and have faith and believe and lock in faith. We have to believe that the situation is in his hands and he is carrying it forward. If we prayed it over and felt that ease and comfort go out, some of us, we don't feel it. We just have to act like it. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, Heavenly Father, we just give to you our every need. Lord, we give you our every desire, our, our, our whims, our, our situations that are, we are going through, Lord. And Lord, we just put all these things into your hands. We put all our, our laughter, our joy, <clears throat> our humor. Lord, we give all things into your hands, Lord. That they be orchestrated by your love and your, your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, reading from chapter 6 of Goodbye Grumblings. Now, this book is, is a simple, clear explanation of how and why the principles introduced in the, in the first book, Prison of Praise, work in everyday life. <clears throat> Some people say that this book is better than the first one. This is the second book. Have you ever stepped outside your door on a beautiful, clear, sunny day, taken a deep breath, fresh air, and thank God for His wonderful creation? Yeah. But what if the next morning is gray and rainy? Does it automatically make you feel a little depressed as you look out the window? Maybe you don't say it out loud, but how do you feel? Are you in the habit of thanking God only for what you want? And are you in the habit of grumbling when things don't go the way you like? So what's wrong with the, a little complaining? It's no big thing. What difference does it make? It can make all the difference in the world. Everything depends on how we respond to the little things in life. A marriage counselor will tell you that a marriage usually breaks up over the little things. It only takes a small nail to puncture a tire. A tiny mistake by a mechanic can cause a crash of a giant airliner. A misunderstanding can start a war. One angry word can lead to a shooting. Little things mean a lot. Because this is the level where we live. Down at the nitty gritty of our attitude at the breakfast table or in the long checkout line at the supermarket on a Friday afternoon. Grumbling comes so easily to all of us that we often don't realize we're, that what we're doing. But grumbling is the very opposite of thanksgiving. A complaint is the opposite of trust. A murmur against your wife when she burns your toast is the opposite of loving acceptance. The dictionary defines a complaint as an 
accusation. By complaining and grumbling, we are actually accusing God of mismanaging the details of our day. The attitude of praise releases the power of God into our lives, and the attitude of murmuring and complaining blocks that power. And don't murmur against God and his dealings with you, as some of them did, for that is why God sent his angel to destroy them. All these things happen to them as examples, as object lessons to us, to warn us against doing the same thing. They were written down so that we could read about them and learn from them. 1 Corinthians 10, 10 and 11. Paul was speaking about the behavior of the Israelites on their wandering from Egypt to the Promised Land. So what did they do and what were the terrible consequences? The people were complaining about all their misfortunes and the Lord heard them. His anger flared against them because of their complaints. Numbers 11.1 1. Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt and God had given them some remarkable signs of his presence and concern for them. He had parted the Red Sea, allowing them to walk across on dry land, and later brought the water back over the heads of the Egyptian soldiers, pursuing them. God promised to lead his people to the promised land. He promised to feed them in the wilderness and to drive their enemies out before them. If they would only trust him as a sign, God's presence went with them in the form of a pillar in the cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night. But the Israelites didn't trust God. They complained bitterly, first because of a lack of food and water, and later because they didn't like the taste of the water God gave them. They grew tired of the diet God had provided for them. They fussed and complained about petty little things, and what were the consequences? Patiently, God humored his murmuring children. Patiently, God humored his murmuring children. Again and again, he met their needs until it became obvious that they would not learn. When they got tired of the taste of manna and wanted meat instead, God said that he would give them meat, not just for one day or two days, but for a whole month until you are saturated and vomited violently. And it came out of your nostrils and, and is disgusting to you because you have rejected and despised the Lord. Numbers 11.20 Forty years the Israelite wandered and every time something went wrong, they complained bitterly and wanted to go back. Why did it take them forty years to cover less than 200 miles? Even with women and children and cattle, they could have covered the distance in a few weeks. They were delayed because they murmured and refused to trust that God will keep his promise to take care of their every need. When the Israelites first came to the border of their promised land, they discovered that giants already lived there in fortified cities. Instead of rejoicing at the obstacles, praising God who had promised to drive all their enemies out before them, the Israelites turned against Moses and demanded to be taken back to Egypt. They accused Moses of having deceived them. Only two men, Joshua and Caleb, who had seen the giants and the fortified cities, trusted that God will keep his promise and give the Israelites the land. But no one listened to Joshua and Caleb. This was the last straw. God vowed to let the Israelites stew on their own complaints. Not one of the complainers would live to set foot on the promised land. 
Instead, the nation of Israel would wander in the wilderness for 40 years until a new generation would grow up. They would be allowed to enter, led by Joshua and Caleb, the only two who would survive the wilderness years. God was patient with them for 40 years. Though they tried his patience sorely, he kept right on doing his mighty miracles for them to see. But God says, I was very angry with them, for their hearts were always looking somewhere else instead of up to me. And they never found the path I wanted them to follow. Hebrews 3.10 Petty complaining keeps the Israelites out of their promised land. Our complaints and murmurings against God in the little things can keep us from entering into the perfect plan He has for our lives. Beware then of your own hearts, dear brothers, lest you find that they too are evil and unbelieving and are leading you away from the living God. Hebrews 3.12 The cause of the Israelites' murmuring was unbelief, and, and unbelief is the root of every one of our little complaints. Unbelief kept the Israelites out of Canaan, but God wanted to do more for them, just bring them into a geographical location than just to bring them into a geographical location. God's promised land was also to be a place of rest, of trust, and peace of mind. Although God's promises still stand, His promises that all may enter His place of rest, we have to tremble with fear because some of you may be on the verge of failing to get there after all, for only we who believe God can enter into His place of rest. He has said, I have sworn in my anger that those who don't believe me will never get in. Hebrews 4, verses 1 and 3. God has a place of perfect rest prepared for us. And I don't mean after death. I mean now. It is the state of perfect trust in Him that we can all enter. But in order to do so, we must give up our sin of unbelief, our grumblings, murmurings, and complaints. Unbelief is a serious offense against God. The world's sin is unbelief in me, said Jesus, John 16, 9. Unbelief, like all sin, is an act of rebellion against God. We can choose to believe or not to believe. Webster's define unbelief as a withholding of belief, incredulity, or skepticism, a rejection of what, what is asserted. If unbelief is a deliberate withholding of belief, then we are responsible for our action, and we must do something about it. The first step in dealing with any sin is confession. For years, I had probably told myself that I rarely grumble. That is, I rarely grumble out loud. I had cultivated and maintained a smiling facade, but I was habitually grumbler inside. Of course, as long as I didn't think I was guilty of grumbling, I never improved. I thought my kinds of complaints were legitimate. I grumbled when I didn't get enough sleep and had to get out of bed in the morning without feeling rested. I grumbled under my breath if the bathroom was messed up by another member of my family, and I grumbled over my hurried breakfast. I grumble when things went wrong at the office and when people didn't do what I expected of them. I grumble over bills and when my car wouldn't start or when I hit a red light on my way to anywhere. 
I grumbled when I had to work late in the office and didn't get to bed on time. And the next morning I started it all over again. When the Holy Spirit began to show me what the Bible had to say about thanking God for everything, I began to realize that I'd been complaining for years and never thought a thing about it. The first step toward rehabilitation was to admit to myself that I was a habitual grumbler. I believe the most effective way to deal with our sins is to be specific about them. We confess them, repent, and ask God's forgiveness, and make a clear-cut decision not to fall into that sin again. We then ask God to remove the sin from us and to give us increased faith and strength to withstand temptation. At last, we thank Him for it and proceed on faith, knowing that it has been done. Once we make an agreement with God not to grumble and promise instead to thank Him for every little thing that He used to make us complain, we can expect Him to go to work. Again, once we make an agreement with God not to grumble and promise instead to thank Him for every little thing that used to make us complain, we can expect Him to go to work. We can't change ourselves from unbelieving grumblers to thankful, cheerful believers. God has to do that changing. We must decide to stop complaining and start thanking and praising God. But it is God's power that works the transformation. Our job is to keep our eyes on Jesus and thank God for what He is able to do. In practice, we find that God will bring into our lives the very kinds of circumstances that used to trigger our grumbling. When we see them coming, we thank and praise God because He is using those very incidents to bring about the change in us. Before they make us stumble, now they will show us God's strength. They will serve to increase our faith. Accepting every little thing that happens with an attitude of thanksgiving will release the power of God in and through us. And we will soon experience a feeling of joy, but don't look for the feeling of, as a sign. Our praise and thanksgiving must be based on faith in God's word, not in our feelings. One of the things I grumbled about for years was my lack of musical talent. Whenever I heard beautiful music, I failed to enjoy it fully because it always made me wish I could play an instrument or sing beautiful solos. Then one day I was listening to a concert and the question came into mind, Are you thankful that you can't play a musical instrument? I recognized the source of the question as the Holy Spirit and squirmed in my seat. No, Lord, I guess I'm not. Are you willing to be? Yes, Lord, I am willing. And I understand that this is your will for me. You could have arranged to give me a musical talent and have it trained if you wanted to. So I thank you for me just as you wanted me to be. As I said it, a great peace flowed into me and I realized that I was actually happy to be as I am. What I wanted you to learn is this, the Holy Spirit continued. If you could make beautiful music, you would please some people, but when you give praise, you always please God. The lack of musical talent was never a shortcoming in God's eyes, only in my own. I was the one who was dissatisfied with the way God had made me. He was never dissatisfied. There are people who spend their lives wishing they could have a special talent and an opportunity to develop it. 
They grumble and complain inside because they are sure that given the right breaks in life, they might ha have become a movie star, TV personality, baseball hero, business tycoon, or doctor. Do you have a favorite grumble about your own life? Do you say to yourself that if you could only have a chance to live it over again, you'd be a different profession, a different neighborhood, a different marriage? Can you accept and declare to yourself that God has you exactly where he wants you, that he hasn't overlooked a thing, that he, hasn't, he wasn't helpless to interfere back when you, when you made what you think as your wrong choice? Sure, there's such a thing as a wrong choice. We've been talking in the book about a responsibility to choose and the consequences of the right and wrong choices. But the promise of God is that he makes all things, including our own wrong choices. Did you hear that? Including our own choices work for good when we trust him. It is possible that you are in a job or in a situation. God plans to move you out of it. Still, it is essential that right now you accept your present situation with joy and thank God for it. As we thank God for every difficulty, submitting to His will at every turn, He is able to move us into the spot where He wants us. Remember, He was able to move the heathen King Cyrus into the right spot at the right time, even when Cyrus didn't know God. So you can be sure that if God had wanted you to be somewhere else at this very moment, He would have had you there. Your task right now is to thank Him for where you are right now. If God, by His Holy Spirit, shows you that you made a wrong choice 15 years ago when you deliberately choose to do against what you then knew to be God's will for you, confess that wrong choice to Him, to, to him now and ask His forgiveness. Thank God for it and ask Him to guide you into making right anything you have, may have done wrong. To others, then turn the rest of your life at this, as of this moment, completely over into God's hands and trust that He is now in complete charge. Now praise and thank Him for your present circumstances, exactly they are in every detail. You may discover God's power working to move you out of your present circumstances very quickly, or you may find that God's power is transforming you in the midst of the circumstances. Whatever happens, continue to thank Him, for He is in charge. A Christian businessman made a deeper commitment to his life to Christ, and shortly thereafter found himself laid off from his highly paid job as an executive. The man searched for another job, but cutbacks in the industry made positions scarce. His family suffered from the financial stress and his anxieties increased as the bills mounted on his prayer and his prayers seemed unanswered. He had been unemployed for a year when he had heard me speak one Saturday night about being thankful for all things. It suddenly dawned on him that God probably had a good reason for not having led him to a job. And he began to thank God for his unemployment and for every hardship he and his family were suffering as a result. All day Sunday, he continued to praise God, and he discovered that his fears and resentments concerning the situation 
were decreasing. In their place, he felt genuine joy. Early Monday morning, the phone rang. Another executive wanted to know if he could go to work for him. Yes, I am available, said the man. How soon can you start? Tomorrow? Then be here at 9 a.m., ready to start. His new job gave an excellent salary, but more important, he was in direct contact with groups of businessmen daily. His witness for Christ led one man after another to accept the Lord as his Savior. The businessman told me as long as I carried a spark of fear and resentment over my situation, I was blocking God from doing what he wanted with my life. As soon as I was able to trust him and praise him for my life exactly the way as it was, he was able to take over and place me where he wanted me to be. A young teacher was spending her summer vacation in the mountains when a letter was mailed from the superintendent's office telling her to report for a conference concerning next year's assignment. She didn't get the letter and wish. And when she didn't show up for the conference, her job was given to someone else. When she returned from her vacation, she discovered that she was unemployed. Her first impulse was to panic and go home to her parents in another state. School was to start in two weeks. There was no job openings in the district, and she had heavy financial obligations from her college days. This young lady had just read Prison of Praise and recognized her present situation as an opportunity to practice what she learned. She deliberately quenched the impulse to panic, thank God that he had allowed her to lose her job, and thank him for his perfect plan for her life. For two days she praised God, fighting back every temptation to despair. On the third day, a neighbor talked to her across the back fence. You know, you really ought to be teaching in a Christian school, she said. Why don't you call the principal of the school where my son goes? The young teacher did and discovered to her surprise that a position as first grade teacher had suddenly been left vacant. She was interviewed and got the job. I know that God was able to take, care, take over the situation because I trusted him enough to praise him, she said. I know that God was able to take over the situation because I trusted him enough to praise him, she said. If I pull my usual old trick of panicking and running home to mom and dad, I might still have been unemployed and fussing at, at God for not looking after me. Her new job suited her far better than the old one. She was able to freely share her faith in the classroom and could openly pray with any of the children who had problems. God had a perfect plan and a perfect place for the young teacher and for the Christian businessman. He closed the doors to the jobs they had held and thought they wanted, and he opened the right doors when they trusted him and praised him for their unemployment. Resentment and fear, grumbling and complaining, causes delays in the unfolding of God's plan for us. He has a perfect time plan, and we must realize that his timing doesn't always coincide with ours. I had always been punctual and was proud of my ability to rec organize and make proper use of the Lord's time. Then one day I found myself on a plane en route to El Paso, Texas, 
where I was to speak at a convention of businessmen. I was glancing nervously at my watch. It was moving toward 2.30, and I had planned to go. And I had planned to be at the meeting at 2. Now, what possible good can come out of me being late for an engagement, I wondered. Why are you letting this happen, Lord? I asked with just a trace of irritability. The only answer was another question. Are you thankful you are late? That's not the point, I argued back. Those people who arranged for me to come and paid my expenses are expecting me to be there on time. They are the ones who have to learn to be thankful. Are you thankful? The thought persisted. The truth suddenly dawned on me. I wasn't really moved by concern for the people at the meeting. I was the one who was upset. I wasn't trusting that God was handling the situation right. I was fuzzing and arguing over his management of my time. I'm sorry, Lord, I whispered. I do believe you know best how to manage my time. If you're letting me be late, it must be part of your perfect plan. And I thank you for it. I turn the management of my time over to you and trust you to work it out for good. I leaned back in my seat and drew a breath of relief. My wife said 2.45, but I felt perfect peace. At that moment, the stewardess walked past. Her watch came into sharp focus before my eyes. <coughs> it read 1.45. I sat up. Miss, your watch says 1.45. Are you sure that is correct? Yes, sir, it is. We just crossed into another time zone, and it is now 1.45. I chuckled to myself. Thank you, Lord, for teaching me how silly it is to worry about the time. As the plane flew on, the time moved past 2, and I felt a twinge of anxiety again. At 2.15, we were coming in for a landing at El Paso, but it looked like I would still be a few minutes late. Lord, I'm sorry I'm impatient, I muttered. But I've never been late to a meeting before, and I don't understand why you're letting it happen now. Are you thankful? All right, Lord, I said, I will be thankful. Thank you that it is now 2.20, and I am exactly where I am. When I walked off the plane, my watch said 2.25. I pulled... I pulled a convention schedule out of my pocket and checked on the address, and my eyes found the time for the meeting. It said 2.30. I ran to the nearest camp. This is beautiful, Lord, I thought. You've been able to teach me a lesson about trusting your management of my time. The cab driver looked at me expectantly. Where to, sir? The El Paso Hilton Inn, I gasped. I need to get there as quickly as possible. The cab driver chuckled and pointed across the street. There it is, right in front of you. I walked through the door into the convention hall and glanced at my watch. It was exactly 2.30. The men were walking up the speaker's table, and I filed up behind them to take my seat. God's timetable is precise to the minute. How great it is to know that we're on his schedule. Release the timekeeping of your life to him, and he will get you where he wants you. When he wants you there, if you trust him, his schedule is good for every appointment and every hour of our lives. God doesn't force his plan on us, but if we give our days and hours to him, it is his business to get us where he wants us 
on his time. That doesn't mean we can sit down on our self seats and say, if the Lord wants me there, he'll have to get me there. I'm just going to sit here and, and doze until he moves me. We've got to do our part, but that is not to worry about the timekeeping. We do our best, get up on time in the morning, prepare in time for appointments, and thank him for whatever happens. Even if we get delayed unexpectedly or are interrupted by a talkative neighbor or demanding child. God has a double purpose in teaching us to trust and praise him for everything. A double purpose. It releases his power into our situation and it allows, draws others to him. It draws others to him. I once worked with a choir leader who was a perfectionist. Every detail of the music for each service was planned and performed precisely with precision. But the choir leader always performed on their strain and his tension was transmitted to the choir. They sang with excellence but without joy. One day the choir leader dropped in for a chat in my office. Bob, I think you would be more relaxed and experience greater joy in your music if you began to thank God for everything that happens, I said. He looked at me in silence for some time, then he said, I've been watching you these past six months. At first I thought you were putting on a front. No one could be that joyful all the time. He smiled. I made several mistakes with the choir and you always reacted with joy. I don't understand how you do it, but I like to have the same attitude. We talked until the time for choir rehearsal and Bob left my office in a hurry. He hadn't had time for any preparation and I wondered how he would respond to the unexpected challenge. Later he told me I was getting really tense thinking about all that music and equipment I hadn't prepared when it dawned on me. This was exactly the kind of situation we're talking about. Thanking God for, so I thank him. Just then four members of the choir came to the door. They were early for rehearsal and asked, what can we do to help you get ready? Nothing like this has ever happened in all of the months I have led the choir. I was amazed. Thank you, God. I prayed you really took care of the problem quickly. The rest of the day, Bob had wandered in a half daze. He had never realized before that God was personally concerned with the details of his life, and that God's power would be released as soon as... As he relaxed and was thankful in every circumstance, the discovery completely changed Bob's attitude to his music ministry. The next time he sang a solo, he made several mistakes, something, something that ordinarily would have plunged him into despair, but instead of getting more tense with each wrong note, he offered out thanks to God who allowed it to happen. As a result, he experienced increasing joy as the song progressed. And we who listened could see the happiness radiate from his face and hear the new dimensions of joy in his singing. Bob's relationship with the congregation also changed remarkably. He had been greeting us with a glum hello. Now he beamed and said, Good morning. Isn't it a beautiful day? Wearing a glum face may not seem like a sin until we consider the fact that it expresses the very opposite of happy abiding faith, and as such is actually an attitude of unbelief. We all know the expression, well, we all have our bad days and our ups and downs. This is careless, even dangerous thinking because it suggests that bad days and ups and downs are a normal part of the Christian life. 
The Bible says that our outward circumstances may go up and down, be bad or good, but our inner attitude is to be a permanent state of rejoicing in Christ. I have learned the secret of being content in, in, in any and every situation. Philippians 4.12 The consequences of our failure to be thankful in the little things are not always apparent to us, but once I was taught a stern lesson. It was a busy morning in our chaplain's office at Fort Benning, and everything seemed to go wrong. The senior man in charge had not shown up for work, and none of the others seemed to know what to do. Telephones were ringing, work was piling up, and I began to feel impatient with the man who had not reported for duty. Of course, my attitude didn't make him arrive, nor did it improve the situation. I grumbled under my breath through most of a miserable day. The next day, the man returned and explained that he had gone to the hospital where he was told that he had a cancerous growth in his sinus. Overcome at the news, he had gone home to spend the day in bed, not caring if he ever got up again. I was overwhelmed with remorse. I fussed over the insignificant delays at the office instead of thanking God for the man who was absent. My grumbling had effectively put me out of commission as a channel for God's love and power flowing towards the sick man. It is important that we learn to respond with trust and praise in all situations, whether or not the consequences are apparent to us. As we learn to push the praise button instead of the panic button, our lives and our attitudes are changed, whether the situation confronting us is a dramatic event or a minor irritation. Once a man, a man was driving home from work on icy roads, he had misjudged the road conditions and slid through a stop sign and into another car. No one was injured, but the cars were badly damaged, and the responsible driver was angry with himself for having made a stupid mistake. Then he remembered... Having read recently about praising God for everything. So he started, Thank you, God, for this in accident. Lord, he prayed. Immediately, a silent voice whispered in his head, Don't be stupid. You made a bad mistake already. Are you going to make it worse by pretending you're glad about it? <clears throat> but God has promised to make it work for good, he argued back. You'll never see anything good come out of this. If I thank God, I will, the man persisted. He continued to be <clears throat> thankful for the accident, yet nothing outwardly dramatically happened as a result. The other driver wasn't led to Christ, and no one seemed to react to his joyful attitude at the garage. So what difference did it make how he reacted? As the day progressed, something very remarkable was happening in that man. The more he thanked God, the more a new kind of peace spread inside of him. Toward noon, he discovered that something like bubbling laughter kept welling up within him. And each time he repeated his thanks to God for the action, he could feel something being released, like the untying of tight knots deep within him. He had <clears throat> been an average Christian, for, but from that day on, his life was never again the same. He had entered a new dimension of victorious living in Christ all because of his determination to recognize God's hand in something he had first thought was his own stupid mistake and a stroke of bad luck. Another man heard me speak about praising God for everything and promised 
God that from that moment he would be thankful for everything that happened to him. He and his family drove home from the meeting through a snowstorm in below zero weather. They arrived home at night, and the moment they stepped in the front door, they knew something was wrong. The house was ice cold, and the furnace was dead. The family huddled upstairs while the man walked down to the basement to check the furnace. He knew nothing about furnaces and had no idea what might be wrong. He stood staring at the cold, silent furnace, and his first impulse was to pray that God would get him get it going again. Without heat in the house, he would have to take his family to a warm shelter for the night. Then the thought came to him, Are you thankful now? I'm sorry, Lord, I forgot he prayed, but I know you must have planned this for our good, so I thank you, God, for this furnace, just as it is. At that moment, a very distant suggestion came into his mind. Check the fan. The fan? I don't even know where it is. Look behind the plate on the right side, came the thought. He found a screwdriver and began removing the plate. The whole scene suddenly struck him as ridiculous. Was he just imagining things? Was the fan really behind the plate? But if God was really at work giving him this direct kind of help, he couldn't stop now, he reasoned. His fingers were numb with cold, but the plate came off, and there was the fan. Now what, he thought. Look for the fan belt. Is it, it is off. It was too dark to see the furnace, so he got a flashlight and directed the beam down the small opening in the furnace. There was the fan belt lying loose. He slipped it over the drive shaft on the fan and removed his arm from the narrow opening. The furnace remained cold and silent. What now, he prayed. Turn the furnace switch, came the suggestion. As soon as he turned the switch, the furnace came alive with happy dancing flames and the man ran upstairs to share with his family how God had blessed him with a cold furnace. Had the man not responded to the crisis by praising God and expecting him to work it all for good, he and his family would have suffered inconvenience and hardship. The cold furnace was a God-given opportunity to learn that praise releases power and guidance of God. Following the furnace incident, the man's life was changed. He began to listen for the voice of God in all situations and today has developed a rare sensitivity to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. His open ear to the guidance of God has made him a channel for God's power in the lives of others also. The first step was an act of faith, believing that a cold furnace on a dark snowy night was an expression of God's loving concern for him and his family's welfare. He could have passed up the first opportunity, and I am sure that God would have provided other challenges. You and I are confronted with many opportunities to recognize God's hand in the situation of our daily lives. How many opportunities do we pass up? The results of our reaction are cumulative. With each positive step of faith, it becomes easier to believe. In the same way, each time we allow unbelief to deny God's presence and love in a difficult situation, the negative results heap up. And it becomes increasingly difficult to muster our will to exercise any faith at all. The more we grumble, the more we become entangled in the web of defeat. Many little grumbles can add up to overwhelming mountains of depression. A Christian nurse 
wrote of years she has spent in misery. It seems like the things always upset me and cause irritation, she said. Gradually, my life was getting more and more miserable. I prayed for God to help me, but nothing happened. I started taking pills to get going in the morning and pills to go to sleep at night. Every day began with the agony of having to go home. To get out of bed, I couldn't cope with my own housework. At the hospital, I was breaking under the strain of caring for the patients. Each day was worse than the one before. I couldn't even do little things I had been able to do with ease a few months before. I was sinking into such a depression that I prayed for God to let me die. Living was sheer hell. Then one day, she read the book, Prison to Praise. It was like a light of hope had been turned on inside me, she wrote. She determined to praise God for everything and made a long list of things to be thankful for, beginning with the circumstances that had caused her so much strain. The results soon began to show up. All I can think of now is what a wonderful change in my life there has been since Jesus came into my heart. I no longer have a horrible fear of failure hanging over me. Things don't irritate and upset me. When something appears to go wrong, I just look up and say, Thank you, Lord, and it really puts a song in my heart. Whether you are surrounded by what seems to be like mountains of accumulated misery or just irritating little molehills, the turning point is the same. Confess your complaining and murmuring as a sin and promise God that you'll be thankful from now on. Is that too hard? You make the decision and determine to stand on it in faith. God will furnish the strength to do it. Once you made the commitment, the opportunities to thank God may come in little or big packages, but they'll come. Reading for today, September 21st, the first reading is out of God Calling. The scripture is John 14, 8. Lord, show us the Father, and it is suffices. It is sufficient for us. Let's pray. Lord, give us those listening ears and heart to receive what your word is telling us today, this day, just for today, Lord. We thank you for the supply of words, the supply of thoughts, the supply of ideas, and thank you for the power and the strength to do what the supply tells us to do, any action for us to be taken. Thank you, Lord God, for the protein you give us to understand and to go and to move forward in Jesus' name. Amen. My children, says the Lord, have I been so long with you, coming to you, speaking to you, and yet you have not known the Father? Your Father is the God and controller of the mighty universe, but He is as I am. All the love and the strength and beauty you have seen in me are in my Father. If you see that and know Him and me as we really are, then that's sufficient for you. It's really sufficient for you completes your life, satisfies you in all your your need, in all your contentment and your needs. See the Father, see me, and it is sufficient for you. This is love in abundance, joy in abundance, all you need. I once saw Jesus in compassionate love, walking among the crowds, bloody with his cross. 
He looked at me, demonstrated his love to me. I, I once again saw Jesus quenched in his blood, dripping from head to toe, holding the keys he just took from Satan, defeated him and all the demons in hell, and he was handing me the keys, putting it on my side of the fence. Amen. And that's true. And Jesus, the courageous one, did that for us. And now, <clears throat> September 21st, meditation for the day, 24-hour little book. In improving our personal lives, we have unseen help. We were not made so that we could see God. That would be too easy for us, and there would be no merit in obeying him. It takes an act of faith, a venture of belief, to realize the unseen power. Yet we have much evidence of God's existence in the strength that many people have received from the act of faith, the venture of belief. We are in a box of space and time, and we can see neither our soul nor God. God and the human spirit are both outside the limitations of space and time. Yet our unseen help is effective here and now. That has been proved in thousands of changed lives. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we pray that we may make a great adventure of belief, that our actions will show our believing. Even though if we don't feel like it or believe it, we act like it. I pray that my visions may be not be blocked by intellectual pride. I pray that I may believe, that we may believe as children believe, that the Father and is one with the Son, and they are one with us. They live inside of us, doing their work, their prayers, and their compassion for others. Amen. 